You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Baldy's Breakdowns, the podcast with NFL insiders Brian Baldinger and Jason LaConfora, an Odyssey Sports original. Welcome to our super wildcard edition of Baldy's Breakdowns. As always, we come to you courtesy of our friends at Odyssey. I am Jason LaConfora at Jason LaConfora on Twitter. I am joined, as always, by my buddy Brian Baldinger at Baldy NFL on Twitter. And we are here to take you through all things going on in the NFL, at least the things that resonate most with us, as we uh, transition from the end of the regular season into the start of the wildcard round of the postseason. Uh, obviously, there's a coaching carousel going on, and I will get Baldy's thoughts on some of that, we will reflect a little bit on what was a wild and wacky end to the regular season with playoff uh, permutations going on through last Sunday evening. And then we will certainly preview the wild card games. Um, Baldy, uh, man, oh man, I know you were in Baltimore last weekend and um, that was a game with a lot of uh, playoff ramifications between the Ravens and the Steelers. People are scoreboard watching what's going on with the Colts and the Jags. And then things really got wacky in the four o'clock window with that 49ers Rams uh, game that went down to the wire that had had all types of, of uh, ramifications for the mm-hmm. Saints and others. And then it went right up to close to midnight, I guess, uh, maybe a little after midnight Eastern time on Sunday where Brandon Stanley, at one point, if he doesn't call a timeout, might still be in the playoffs because I think the Raiders were going to play for a tie. That would have knocked the Steelers out. Madness all around. Well, yeah, it started, you know, at 1 o'clock in in Baltimore with Pittsburgh, you know, winning in overtime, um, which, you know, which took place after the Colts just completely – I mean, that, that to me, I watched that game, Jace, because I had to see what happened. And sure. Jacksonville looked like the, Jacksonville looked like a playoff team compared yes. to the Colts. Colts couldn't, the league's leading rusher couldn't gain a yard. Baldy, the Colts' offensive line. What the hell was going on? Yeah, well, I mean, each each individual uh, was beaten by a Jag player, whether it was Adam Gotsis or uh, Dewan Smoot or Josh Allen. They all got beat, um, you know. And then I. I it, it's. I think Brian Schottenheimer called that game, and for the first time all year, Trevor Lawrence looked like a franchise quarterback. Uh, he made a number of great throws in that game, including a couple touchdown throws off some really good play play design. They look like a team that might be fun to coach if they got a guy that really believed in them, you know, in Jacksonville. So 
So that happened. So then, okay, so now Pittsburgh, they, they're in as long as there's not a tie. Right. Like, okay, well, there's not going to be a tie, uh, you know, between the Raiders and the Chargers, and there sure looked like there could have been a tie <laughs> between the Raiders and Chargers in the final game of the season, which is, I don't know, 272? Yeah, whatever. 72 yeah. games, whatever it is, Jason. You know, and then not to mention the 49ers down 17 nothing to the Rams. And then they they take this comeback and they just smoke Crazy. the Rams in the second half of that game. There's doesn't look like there was anything. How about the, Rams the tying drive, Baldy? I, I mean, I I, th- I didn't think there was any way that was going to happen. No, I mean, 38 seconds. You know, they go down the field. Um, it was just Crazy. It, was, it was. You know, I I'm not sure what Jalen was doing on the outside. Yeah, uh, with Debo yeah. running, you know, right by him. But 43 yards later, they're in position to go win the game, and so. I mean, it was a phenomenal finish. Phenomenal finish in Baltimore. Phenomenal finish uh, in Los Angeles. Phenomenal finish uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, the league had to be thrilled the way this thing kept everybody. I mean, yeah. you see this these teams locker, locker room watching these games, waiting to see what happens. I mean, the suspense was unbelievable for the fan bases and the teams involved. Got to ask you about Brandon Staley. You're a progressive guy. I'm a progressive guy. We're not anti-analytics. We understand that these that the numbers can help edify you and paint a clearer picture of your options. And, and in some cases, they could certainly steer you. But, Baldy, when you got Justin Herbert and you're in a one-score game and it's the third quarter and your season's at stake, I, I get trusting your quarterback and all, but you can also trust your quarterback by punting from the 18, living to fight another day, and maybe putting him in a better situation um, to allow you to win the game, you know, rather than going for it on fourth down from, from again, inside your own red zone. You know, on that, so I thought long and hard about that, Chase. Now, against the Cleveland Browns, they were down two scores, and they went for it at their 20 20- 22 yard line. They ran a trap play on a fourth down and they right at miles Garrett and they got it, you know, and then they, they were super aggressive against Kansas city week three that helped them win the game. But you know, there's, there is a difference between analytics and hope. I'm hoping we could get the first down and stay mm-hmm. on the field. And I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I it was a very bizarre call in that game. Uh, you know, there's so much time left. And why give the Raiders that field position? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. You're basically turning the ball over if you don't make it. And I, and I understand that, you know, the number of times they went for it on fourth down, the, the, the amount of successes they had. But there are consequences. There are consequences that you have to weigh as a head coach. And I thought that was a very poor decision by Brandon Staley. Um, you know, especially as poor as, as his defense is. Yeah. I'd feel a little bit better about it, Jason, if, if my defense was a shutdown defense. And they haven't been a shutdown defense Uh -uh, all year. uh -uh. And so, um, you know, that got proven in overtime, the way Josh Jacobs, you know, ran ran the ball right down their throats a couple of times to kick field goals. But, yes, I'm I'm with you. I thought that was – that call is going to be questioned all offseason. Yeah. Yeah. Amazingly, though, they did pick up a whole bunch of fourth and tens uh, down the stretch in in what was a completely – crazy but they, way you know, and those season. fourth and nines and fourth and tens and it's four, desperation you know, that's a different story than managing a game in the third quarter yes you know where they need two scores you know and so that's that's different than yes a third quarter deep in your own zone yes um well 
Brandon Staley was not fired after that game uh, at the end of his first season, but plenty of guys have been um, this week, Baldy. And I think there's some that even the, the, the men themselves knew it was coming. You know what I mean? Mike Zimmer yeah. knew that going into that game, that was his last game coaching the Vikings. Ditto for Matt Nagy and Vic Fangio had a, if he didn't completely know, he, he certainly knew it was a, a, a strong possibility. Uh, Joe Judge uh, finally talked his way out of a job there, um, and that that was a footballing atrocity that they put on the field against the Washington football team. And really, the last six weeks um, were were as dire of a of a watch as you could find in the league. And then the one um, that I think probably surprised people more than than the others to this point is. Uh, Brian Flores being out in Miami after winning eight of his last nine games. Any sort of um, overarching thoughts or, or, or takeaways for you from from what we've seen to this point? Well, I mean, certainly the Brian Flores firing surprised me hmm. um, because, like, they <clears throat> after a really dismal performance against Tennessee the week before, they took the Patriots apart. Probably played the best overall game of the whole season against the Patriot team that was trying to win, um, you know, and had their starters out there and trying to, you know, keep pace with Buffalo and all that stuff. Uh, I, I thought that 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 surprised me because his his team did play hard. Um, and the, a lot of the issues are personnel related, offensive line related, quarterback related. Uh, there are some issues there that the head coach probably can't overcome just from um, – uh, scheme standpoint, motivation standpoint, but his defense is very good and they did play very well. And so that, that surprised me, but I guess, you know, after digging deeper and listening to what was going on behind the scenes, um, I don't know how you, you keep both the general manager and the coach. It's just seemed like in Minnesota, Chicago, they did the right thing. And maybe they haven't done the right thing in Jacksonville with the general managers they kept on board there. And so it just seems like, a lot of these places, New York, Chicago, Minnesota, and maybe Miami, maybe it's better just to start from scratch, hire the general manager, and a general manager hire the coach that he believes in, and they work in lockstep together the way, I mean, let's face it, the blueprint right now is what has been going on in Buffalo, you know, yeah. with the general manager and the coach, uh, both hired together, um, building this thing together. Looks like they're doing it the right way. We'll see how the playoffs go with the Patriots this weekend. We'll get to that game, but you know, uh, there, you have to do it the right way. Otherwise, there's just going to be this friction that's just going to exist and it's not going to go away. Yeah, change is inevitable in this league and uh, we'll, we'll see where some of these these coaching searches go. One, one thing I am interested to see, Baldy, is um, if this is a year where the pendulum swings a little bit more back to some of these coaches from the defensive side of the ball. Dan Quinn's going to have some real opportunities here. Todd Bowles is going to have some real opportunities here. You know, Leslie Frazier is going to have some real opportunities here. Um, I, I, I am fascinated to see if the owners get a little bit away from this model that they've been, you know, sort of the McVeigh-Shanahan model that they've been chasing, which, you know, let me just poach somebody from their family tree who kind of looks like them and thinks like them, and we're going to keep our fingers crossed and hope it works out. And it is working out in a few places, but um, – I, I do wonder if there is um, maybe a little less group think and, and we'll see where, where some of these dominoes land because there's a lot of capable guys who don't necessarily coach quarterbacks. 
Yeah, well, two two thoughts on that, Jason, and I'm with you. One is you got to hire a leader, you know, a leader of men, not just the team, of an organization. You just have a – when a guy walks into the building, you know who the leader is. Right. And, you know, not because he's beating his chest. It's just because he understands what what all needs to be done and how to do it. And, you know, whether it's budgeting time, you know, whatever that is, whether it's the ability just to be able to uh, grind, uh, to have a vision for what he wants his team to be and for that team to buy into that vision. You've got to have a leader, whether it's an, and then the problem with going out there and let's just say, take Brian Dable. I mean, I'm sure Brian Dable is a capable head coach, but let's just say, cause he's been mentioned a bunch over sure. the years. Yep. And they'll always say, well, you know, he'll be good with the quarterback. And I always say this, that's great. If the quarterback improves under Brian Dable uh, and, and a guy like that, that's good. But there are 52 other players that right. have to also hear the message every single day and believe in the message. And are you good at that? Because there's some guys um, that aren't good at that. Like I think Cliff Kingsbury is very good with the offense and very good with the quarterback. I don't know that his message right. resonates. You know, maybe that's good to have a Vance Joseph there that can do that side of the ball. And that's that's a different model than some places. So, you know, I think there's there's different ways to do things. But the most important thing is, you know, that, that guy that you hire, when he walks into the room and he sits in front of the room, um, the whole team, that everybody, you know, believes in his message. And I think that's that's hard to find. That's hard to find right now. Yeah. No, it 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 is. And uh you know, some of these organizations will invariably get it right and, and, and I mean, some you of these some of these CBS. searches will be wacky. That's just the reality I mean, you, of these you, owners. I mean, you're you're fortunate, Jason. You work at CBS and you see Bill Cower every weekend. Yes. I mean, Bill Cower, he walks into that room at CBS, he's still the coach. You know, like he he's he still presents himself and has that aura of the head coach. And yes. you know that that that's who he is, you know, and he, like, you know, he, he groomed that and he developed under Marty Schottenheimer and, you know, the different places he was as an assistant coach, you know, and so when he got that job in Pittsburgh, you know, for 15 years, he was the coach and he still is, you know, at CBS. So yes. like, that's, that's what you're looking for. And he was on the defensive side of the ball. We know what position he played and all that kind of stuff, but you know, the offense didn't suffer because Bill Cowher was the head coach. You know? Right. It, and, and so that's, that's, that's the challenge right now. And regardless of, you know, offense or defensive background. Well, let's get into some of these. Uh, well, we'll go through every wild card game. I mean, it's the playoffs. We're certainly going to going to touch on every game, Baldy. And we will, we'll go in uh chronological order here. If that yeah. works for you, we'll go right through the slate of games, starting with the game that will kick off the weekend 4.30 on Saturday afternoon. The Raiders haven't won a playoff game in 18 years. The Bengals haven't won a playoff game in 30 years since they were rocking the icky shuffle um, in the jungle. Uh, the Bengals, Baldy, got to use Week 18 as a little bit of a glorified bye. As we chronicled already, the Raiders were fighting for their lives in a knockdown dragout against the Chargers for the right to go to the playoffs unless they tied. Um, I don't know about you, Baldy. If if the Raiders win this football game, I think it's because we hear Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe's <laughs> name being called all day long, yeah. right? And they they get after some of the underbelly of that 
that Bengals offensive line and they make Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor pay for going empty and for minimizing protections at times. I'm with you, Jason. That's how I see the game. I mean, there's a lot of ways to analyze this. They, they played earlier in the middle of the season. Joe Mixon ran the ball 30 times, um, just pounded the Raiders. The Raiders have won four in a row because of the defensive line and what you speak of, Quentin Jefferson and Solly Thomas and, you know, Jonathan Hankins. I mean, that group yeah. has been a dominant group. And Max Crosby might have played the best game by a defensive end all year on Sunday, you know, to help win that game. And, you know, he, he has this uh, – I've become pretty good friends with Max over the last three years. And he has this uh, skill and it's just, he, he just doesn't fatigue. He just doesn't get tired. Yeah. Like he just fights through it. And, you know, he's never bent over in, in huffing and trying to catch his breath or, you know, put tapping himself out. He just doesn't do that. He just has that ability. So, but that being said, it does come down to this Cincinnati and Joe Burrow. They love to go empty. They love to get five receivers yep. out. They So the matchup is this. Can the Raiders' defensive line affect Joe Burrow before Joe Burrow can make his read and get the ball to his fleet of receivers? Because if if the ball is allowed to get to the perimeter and to Chase and Higgins and Boyd, the Raiders aren't going to win this game. Right. But if Joe Burrow is who is the most sacked quarterback in the league and the most sacked quarterback for a reason, he holds the ball, and his line is very average. And so I don't know if Isaiah Prince is playing right tackle in this game. He has been the last couple of weeks. But that's Max Crosby. And yeah. if you hold the ball with Max Crosby against Isaiah Prince or whoever's there, um, Freddie Johnson, whoever it might be, um, you, you, your quarterback's going to get hit. And who knows what happens when he gets hit. Does the ball get popped up? Does the ball get popped out? Uh, those That's the matchup. And to me – if they hold up, they're not a max protection team, no, Jason. No. They, they don't like to mm -hmm. keep their backs in and tight ends in and chip block. That's not who they are. And so that's that's what – if you're a fan, that's what I'm looking for in this game. We have another rematch game in the 8-15 kickoff on CBS. Saturday night, the Patriots and the Bills meet for the third time. Obviously, the first two meetings were uh, were sort of very different ball games. We had the win bowl where New England basically didn't throw the ball and bullied the Bills. We had a game under less severe uh, weather conditions in which the Buffalo Bills were the better team, and they got to sort of run the the, the multiplicity of their offense and and do things that they prefer to do with the ball in the air. We've seen Mac Jones. Come back to earth a little bit here as the stage got really, really big. Um, and we've got a Bills defense that is statistically best in the league in a lot of key metrics, Baldy. And we got a Patriots defense that hasn't, to me, my eye, been getting home as much um, since Judon got a little dinged up. I think they only had 33 sacks on the season. Uh, how do you size this one up? Well, not only is it the third matchup, but it's like the third matchup in the last seven weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, they already are familiar with one another being division rivals. Um, the one thing about the Patriots is, especially if you go back to the first game, you know, in the weather conditions, they have to play a certain way. Mm -hmm. Like, they can't play another way. I mean, they have to be able to control the line of scrimmage. They have to run the ball. 
effectively. They have to run it more than they throw it. They have to be able to stop the Bills and Devin Singletary, who've made a good push the last five mm-hmm. weeks to run the ball better. They have to shut that down, and they have to make Buffalo one-dimensional. That's they have to. To me, Buffalo doesn't have to do any of those things. Like they have an ability to do to win different ways, and I think that that ability favors the Bills in this game. Uh, I like I, nobody knows. I mean, if it's five degrees or ten degrees outside, right? Nobody knows. But you know, when I watch Mac Jones, the longer you watch him, the more you look like he he's his his phys, he's physically challenged. I mean, yeah. he doesn't have an arm that you need at this time of the year. And so come back to earth. We've seen the turnovers. We've seen the interceptions. Um, we've seen him pounding the fist into the dirt after mm-hmm. a bad play. So I just feel like Buffalo has more swag. The quarterback is far better at that position. Like the touchdown throw that he made to Diggs against the Jets. I don't oh, know my, if any my. other quarterback can make a throw with Quincy Williams tackling him to the ground and still get the ball out like that. His ability just to extend, to create, to play beyond the X's and O's is kind of what you need at this time of the year because you don't know some of the things that are going to come at you. Sure. And so I I feel like Buffalo's in a better position, um, and he's got experience in the postseason. Uh, So I I feel like they're in a better position right now to really play when – you know, in, in a game where you, you might have to do things unconventionally. Right. And that's what he can do. So is it fair to say that you lean to the home team in, in these two games on Saturday? Or Yeah. Yeah. I, I do lean towards the home game. I do give the Raiders a fighter's chance. Yep. I do think it's a little unfair that they played the last game of the year late Sunday night. <laughs> then they get the yeah. early game yeah. Saturday. Yeah. I mean, they're, but I mean, I think they're, they're riding a four game, win streak. I think, you know, they've got momentum that for whatever that's worth. Um, I think they'll be ready to play all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I th- think they, they know what they have to do. And I do think that, you know, getting Darren Waller back, like he wasn't a big yeah, factor right. in that game Sunday night, but he is a factor. So I think the fact that he's on the field, that he can be their best target, that on third downs, he does have a real safety valve. Derek Carr, I'm talking about, yes. has a place to go to. And to see Josh Jacobs have his best game of the season mm-hmm. is really encouraging for the Raiders right now. Yeah, they're definitely going to have to stay uh, stay balanced there and try to keep that Bengals offense on the sidelines while they run the ball. Sunday gets us started. Eagles at Buccaneers at 1 o'clock. Tom Brady, he would get my vote for MVP. I know some people will go Aaron Rodgers. To me, if you said T.J. Watt, I'd be fine with that as well. But but personally, at age 44, what Brady's done, um, he, he would get my MVP vote. No one has run the football better than the Eagles since about week seven on. Um, they're kind of playing with a little bit of house money here. I don't think a lot of people in Philadelphia in September or October thought Nick Sirianni as a rookie head coach was going to the playoffs. A lot of pressure on the Bucks. They don't get any additional rest with only one bye now um, in this process, Baldy. Can the Eagles make this a ball game? Yeah, they can because they, they play a certain style that can frustrate the Bucs. Uh, you know, they, they played week six, Jason. It was a 28-22 mm-hmm. game. 
probably really wasn't as close as that, but it was 28-22 with uh, six and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter. So in that game, the, the Eagles, really the season kind of changed for them. They didn't even try to run the ball in the first half. Um, Jalen Hurts had a couple scrambles. They said, well, we, we, you know, we can't run the ball against Tampa. And then they decided about midway through the third quarter that they can run the ball. And they ran the ball really well against yeah. them. Miles Sanders had some popped a bunch of big runs. And Jalen Hurts got involved in the run game. And so they present some issues to Tampa Bay's defense that other teams just don't. Um, especially in that division. I mean, they got a quarterback in Philly that can really run, whether it's scramble or design runs. He's very good. And they've got the best run-blocking offensive line of football. And so they got a a fleet of backs. You know, there's no Miles Sanders. Well, maybe Miles plays. I don't know with the broken hand. But um, they they can frustrate them because they really can run the ball. And they can keep Tom Brady on the sideline and shorten the game and, you know, make this a seven- or eight-possession game. Uh, they've shown the ability to blitz a little bit more than they did in that first game defensively. So I think that they can go to Tampa and, and play a style that can frustrate the Bucs and, and keep this game close. But, you know, with where the Brady is 44 or 34 or 24, the way he's throwing the football, yep. like he's, he's the MVP. And you can say, okay, well, you know, in that first game, he threw to Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin and Leonard Fournette, and they're not there anymore. And so now you're going to lean on on Gronk and Mike Evans and Cam Brate, and you mm-hmm. go, what's wrong with that? Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Like, like, what's wrong with that? Just feed those guys. I mean, like, th- those are three great receivers. And and Brady will has no problem throwing to those guys. And if they get Adam Watson on the field or whatever, that's fine. But, like, they've got enough to throw the ball to right now. And they bring back the same offense line that won a Super Bowl. Yep. So, I, I you know, the Bucks offense, I mean, anybody's feeling sorry for them because they're crazy. Like, they've got, they've got you know, two elite players that Brady can throw to. That might be the, as good as, you know, any position players yep. in this whole business. Yep. So, I, I think they'll be fine offensively. Yeah, they're not, they're not crying in their gazpacho uh, down there. Trust me. Um, they, they've got, they got plenty of ways. I almost said soup, but it's too warm for soup down there. Yeah. Um, Baldy, I have a hunch that the San Francisco football 49ers are going to go into Dallas and, and maybe end Mike, Mike McCarthy's season and perhaps even his coaching tenure because I don't think Jerry Jones is thinking that this team. Um, should be a one and done in the postseason. I'm going to go a little Ziggy Freud on you. When I watch these teams play, when I look at the dirty feed we have on CBS when you're watching um, on the satellite and you get some shots of the sidelines, and I I just feel like the San Francisco 49ers have this belief that we're going to keep punching and eventually we're going to break through. And I look at the Dallas Cowboys – particularly on offense, and we've talked about it a few weeks back, I'm still not totally buying what they're selling. I don't know that they necessarily know who they are right now and do they want to run it through the running backs, even though that hasn't been as effective as they'd like. And, you know, do you really want Dak dropping back 50 times? And I love their defense, but I just kind of feel like San Francisco's got a swagger and Dallas has the weight of the world on their shoulders because the expectations are that they're better than maybe what they actually are. Well, I, I've, 
I think that's the case, Jason. I think Dallas, they, they, you know, the, the thing about these playoff games is you, you, it's not, you know, people say, well, you got to start fast. Well, everybody wants to start fast. Can you get into a rhythm fast? Yeah. Can you yeah. get into your game plan? Can you start reeling off plays and getting first downs and get into your game plan and figure out what's working, what isn't working? And the one thing about the 49ers, like if you wanted a um, the, the perfect game to get ready for the playoffs, last weekend's mm-hmm. performance against the Rams was that you put yourself into a 17 nothing hole. But yet you you put together a drive at the end of the first half for a field goal and you go, okay, and then you come out and you take charge the game as soon as the third quarter starts and you go mm-hmm. right down the field. And, you know, they did it without Trent Williams and they did it in the 17 nothing hole and they did it when they had to win to play this weekend. And they did it. And so, you know, when George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Trent Williams and Fred Warner get on the plane, this week and they go to Dallas, there's not one ounce of belief that they're not going there to win that yep. game. Yeah. And I, no that's, that's, I mean, it's to me, I'm with you, Jason. If there's one shock that I think can happen this weekend, it's the 49ers mm-hmm. going into Dallas. I played for the Cowboys. I know what that crowd is like. That is a church. That's a church session. If they, things aren't going well, they don't boo. They're not a booing crowd, right. so you won't hear that. But if the 49ers go in there and they they take charge of the game the way they did against the Rams in the second half, like that place will be a church service, and it'll be and it, everybody will be nervous. And I just don't feel like the Cowboys can get into they they just don't know how to get into a rhythm. They, they're not sure how to do it. They don't know how to get the ball to CD the way. You know, the, the 49ers know how to get the ball to oh, Debo yeah. Samuel. Oh, yeah. Like, they just don't know how to get the ball to their star players. And it, it's it's a conundrum that they've been wrestling with for a while now. Yeah, I think the 49ers know exactly who they are, and they're going to win that way or lose that way. And I think the Cowboys, It's and it's crazy to say, four months and 18 games into a season, or 18 weeks into a season, I, I still don't know that they know exactly who they are um, well, it's, or, or, you know, what, it's, or what their best template to win is. I mean – is Elijah Mitchell the best running back on the field Sunday? Like I, like when right. I watch that guy I agree. run, yeah. Like there's no negative runs. The guy runs through tackles. The guy's got breakaway speed. Like, like there's nothing he can't really do. And and then when you have your change of pace back is Debo Samuel, uh, who is just different than everybody else because he just attacks the line of scrimmage at 100 miles an hour. There's no read. Like he just. Like he yeah. just says, this is a foot race right now. I'm going to beat you to the corner. I'm going to beat you. Like there's just no fear in how he runs. And there's just like Dan Quinn knows this better than anybody else. Cause he, you know, he was there with Kyle Shannon yes. in Atlanta, but you can say, okay, here comes the outside zone. Still here comes this. It. This is what, but nobody has Kyle Juszczyk and yep. George Kittle in combination. Yeah. And they start chopping you and moving you. And all of a sudden, you just get these splits, you know, in daylight in the in your defensive line. And you can bunch them up and put a bunch of defensive tackles in there. It doesn't really matter. Like, once they, once they get that rhythm going, they're really hard to stop. Yes, indeed. Uh, Sunday night's game has some blowout potential, I, I think it's fair to say, especially yeah. going back 
to the last time the Steelers met the Chiefs. Uh, you said it, Baldy. You were in Baltimore, and Pittsburgh won that game. But, my God, are they limited offensively. Now you got Najee Harris with a banged-up hand. Um, you know, Ben's going to average between three and six yards per attempt. That's just their reality. Um, and they gave up 250 yards on the ground last week. Latavius Murray hadn't done anything all year. They couldn't stop him. And the only problem mm. is Baltimore only ran him 16 times. Uh, TJ Watt at one point grabbing his hand, you know, he, he, he's been really beat up physically playing through some stuff. And it was 30 to nothing KC, uh, in the second quarter, the last time they played and, and that game, um, was, was pretty ugly. What, I, look, but also the Steelers just refuse to die. They're a vampire or a zombie or whatever. Mm. You can't you can't kill them off. And yeah. Ben has been taking a, now a two or three week victory lap. Um, what do you see here? I, I don't know if I see thirty nothing in the second quarter, um, but I mean I think Pittsburgh will. You know, Ben played his best football um, in that fourth quarter in the overtime. Last week, I mean, he got the ball, finally got the ball to Chase Claypool, made some throws in the middle of the field, you know, to Ray Ray McLeod, converted some fourth downs. Um, you know, Friar Muth is a great target. I mean, I think he's going to be a really good player uh, for a long time. He's got tremendous size and range. They, they're better with Hassenhauer at, at center than they were ever with Kendrick Green. Najee Harris got banged up last week, but came back to finish. So yeah, I think he'll be good. They're, they've got to play a certain way. You know, Ben just wants to get the ball out of his hands. He can't hold it. He, you know, I mean, it's it, this is it. I mean, he's just a big old lumberjack back there. Um, they're better if they could get Claypool involved. I think he's a really good player. They, he didn't touch the ball in the first half. Second half, he had eight touches, 70 yards, a touchdown. Yep. And, you know, had a, the go-ahead touchdown. Um well, they got him involved. You know, they have to. Like, he's he's there's games where he's, he's he's not even a part of the offense, and I don't get it because he's big and he's athletic. And so they have to play a certain style. But, I, you know, Kansas City, they're not turning the ball over right now. Um, their offensive line isn't a bunch of rookies up front. They, they've come together. Uh, I think they could beat you a lot of different ways, whether Tyreek Hill gets the ball or doesn't get the ball. Like, Pittsburgh – you know, of all the things I just said, the one thing about Pittsburgh that you would think but isn't the f- truth is they can't stop anybody from running the ball. And it's not what Kansas City really wants to do, but you almost can't help yourself. Like, they're just, they just don't have the bodies inside right now. And the linebackers just are, are lost. So, you know, if, like I talked to Minka before the game last week. I'm like, how are you still standing? Like, I've never seen a free safety have to make more you know, first contact on big backs than Minka has this year. Like he's taken on these 220 pound backs and he's the first piece of contact from the free safety position. Um, free safeties don't survive when they got to do that. And I, so I just think that they're, they're, it's fortunate, you know, I mean, Tom Lincoln, he's pushed all the right buttons to get him to this spot. Uh, but I, I, I think, you know, Kansas City is ready to make a Super Bowl run. And so, you know, they've, they went through their rough patch this year. They got through it. The quarterback is very confident. Um, he looks to me, Jason, like he's really willing to dink and dunk right now and not make the, the splash plays and, 
play hero ball and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I like I like Kansas City. I, I I'd be surprised if we see a competitive game in the fourth quarter of this game. Final game of the weekend, Baldy. Well, I guess it's Monday night, so it's technically not the weekend anymore. Uh, you could you could convince me of pretty much anything in this game. Like these two teams, <laughs> Arizona and and, yeah. and and LA, are so Jekyll and Hyde yep. from week to week, and often within the same game. That if you told me one team blew out the other, I'd be like, okay. If you told me it came down to the last second and either team scored, I'd say okay. If you told me it was high scoring, sure. You tell me it's 21-20, oh, sure, I'll buy that. T- I, I just, I don't know. And it really doesn't matter where they play the game. Like, to me, SoFi Stadium, mm-hmm. you know, has been yeah, uh, yeah. a visitor's hornet. Paradise. You know, it's, it's been a paradise. So I've seen a bunch of games in that stadium. And I know how the visitor, but, you know, the Cardinals fans aren't traveling. So on a Monday night. Right. Um, so, the, the you know, home field, wherever. I mean, they could play this at the Coliseum. Doesn't really, you know, play it anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so, but you're right. I mean, the first game, the Cardinals ran for 250 yards, and the Rams were like, you know, the network and various outlets had said, hey, you know, can you break this game down for us? And I, I'm like, I can. But I, I mean, I can't you're just guess it, right? I mean, who knows? Who has the advantage? I mean, we see Matt Stafford turning this turnover machine at the end of the season, and yes. some weeks are good enough to overcome it, and some weeks they're not. Um, we saw this in the middle of the season when they had a three-game losing streak. So I don't know how much you trust Matt Stafford in this spot. Um, you know, the running game looked pretty good with Sony Michelle until the 49ers shut him down last week. Yeah. Um, the Rams defense can be good, but you know, but then then, you know, if if Von Miller and you know Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey aren't making these splash plays, are they really that good? Right. I don't. I don't even know how to handicap it. To be honest with you, I'm going to watch it, yeah. and I'm, I'm analyzing it for Sky Sports. But honestly, you're right, Jason. I anything could happen in this game, and I would believe it. Yeah. Well, we were simpatico pretty much on all these. Yeah. I. I don't. I. I if you're a betting person and you have a strong feeling about that game, um, you're you're either a lot smarter than I am or a lot dumber than I am because I. It, to me, it's a coin flip. I, I don't know which. You know those teams. You don't know which teams. Which version of which teams showing up? I don't. I don't know yeah. how. I don't know how you gauge that from pregame warmups or whatever, but uh, it'll be interesting to say the least. And obviously there's a lot of familiarity there. So um, we'll see who makes the adjustments. Well, we appreciate you guys as always for getting geared up for your football week with us here at Baldy's breakdowns. Again, um, rate review, uh, give us feedback on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, goodness, the Odyssey app, and please subscribe as well. Uh, you can find us through the week on Twitter. Of course, you're going to look at Baldy's breakdowns with all the great video X's and O's he has at Baldy NFL. And if um, you're interested in punk rock music and dogs, then follow me uh, <laughs> at Jason Lock and Four. And there's a little bit of football in there, too. Um, we can't wait to reconvene with you guys next week when, um, unfortunately, we will be just a few weeks from the conclusion of the NFL season. We will review the wild card week. We'll, we'll update you on the coaching situations, and we'll get you ready for the divisional round then. Um, Baldy, safe travels, my friend, if you are uh, making the rounds this weekend. Um, are, are, are you are – you, do you have to be anywhere in particular? I, I am analyzing all the games in real time for Sky Sports over in uh, London. Oh, so yeah. So I'm their uh, NFL analyst uh, throughout the playoffs. So I'll be riding them all the way till Super Bowl Sunday in Los Angeles. So 
Uh, I'll watch every play of every one of these uh, games. Uh, I have a feeling this 49er-Dallas game might be uh, the most watched game of the year. I have a feeling everybody wants to sit and watch this one. Well, that's good news for my bosses at CBS. I hope you are yes. right, Baldy. Yes. <laughs> I will yes. uh, think you miss me on the pregame show on the NFL today. I'll get my 45 seconds uh, <laughs> to try to uh, educate and entertain you. And, and as always, we look forward to kicking it with you guys again next week on Baldy's Breakdowns. Enjoy the playoffs, and we'll talk to you next week.